0: Welcome back, my friends, to The Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the insights with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey there. So you guys got tired of the cold, and you sent it my way, because it's freezing in Florida. It was 5 this morning. I don't want to hear you're freezing in Florida. <laughs> right. Oh, it's close to 40. So
1: That's so- like 5 for Paul. No, no, I'm talking, you and I have the same measurement, so it was five for me.
2: <laughs> right. And and I didn't lose any of the cold, so maybe it's spreading, but it's not right. like I gained heat <laughs> out of it.
1: Yeah, we got, uh, I think, three inches of snow over the weekend.
2: Yep. I, I Although- still have snow. I, I constantly get blanketed.
0: How do yeah. they know that they were three inches is there any insight any information how do they measure that
2: <laughs> that was weak try try another one
1: yeah yeah i think, I think <laughs> need a little more build up there carlos <laughs> well tell me like it's, it's tell- actually kind of it's actually kind of interesting um denver you know i live in denver we've i think we've said that a bunch um denver has the best meteorologists in the world um, it's a real hot spot for people that study uh, climate, microclimate, right? Um, to to vie for the positions that are available here, it's it's highly contested, and the and the main reason is because our weather is so incredibly interesting, right? We have some of the largest shifts in temperature, um, like we were, I want to say, ninety one day, twenty seven the next day, eighty five the next day, right? Um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've got the, the Rocky Mountains that, that go north to south and create um, effectively a weather break. That's and true. so systems, systems that, that, that wouldn't turn into anything because they'll, be, they'll come, come you know, west to, to east, will, will come over the Rockies, and then because the atmosphere increases in size and the pressure drops, they'll stall, build, and then drop. Um, and then the other way around, right, if they're coming east to west, they encounter a, a high, uh, a high pressure resistance from the from the fourteen thousand foot peaks, um, and then they'll stall, and everything behind them will compress and compress and compress, and then they'll drop. They'll drop weather. Um, uh, the west to east often will cause our spring um, hail storms, mm. which um, get worse and worse as they move out towards the plains, right? Because everything behind them is picking up speed. Um, and that's where you'll get like Nebraska and Kansas will get the um, you know hail that's softball size, right. and you get and extreme discounts on automotive, right? Because they'll <laughs> destroy whole car lots. Um, and and even even you know kind of around me like at my house I get maybe dime sized hail, which isn't isn't anything you want to be outside in. Um, but a couple miles from me they'll get uh, golf ball sized hail with some frequency.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we've become, I, I will say in the last 20 years, we've become significantly better at predicting the weather, right? The data models have become better. The the tools have become better. The Doppler radar has become significantly better, much more higher resolution, right? So they use those insights to kind of feed into what they ex- the expected outcome will be. But they are <laughs>
2: frequent. That it. is a <laughs> bridge worthy of
1: review. Um, but they're frequently wrong, right? And I think that's kind of the purpose of today's talk. Um, insight does not equal outcome. So this is your topic, Paul, why don't you why don't you give us a, an intro?
2: Sure. So uh, as we have done in the past, uh, we tend to talk about things that are interesting to us at the moment. and this one topic I actually wrote and submit submitted to LinkedIn this morning. So up on up on the site, my 40th article, My January article, so Happy New Year article, is talking about this particular topic. Now, I started by talking about uh, why New Year's is sad for me and and happy for anywhere else, right? It's sad for me because of all the loyalty resets, right? I now have zero hotel nights, (laughs) zero miles, zero caramel macchiatos, right? I'm running zero now. And the uphill climb it's going to take for me to maintain status next year is gargantuan, almost impossible. So I thought to myself, if I was one of those companies, if I was a loyalty company or a big box store um, or an airline or hotel, and I'm doing analysis on my loyalty program and on my sort of elite status members, how am I satisfying those people? Sure, I could derive a bunch of insight, right? I can look and say, uh, these, this particular segment has achieved in the past, could pen- potentially achieve in the future. Uh, or I could look at uh, things like uh, specific attributes, right? To say, this type of person constantly buys product X, but they've never once bought product Y. And, and why haven't they done that before? Like I can get some reasonable facts out of that. One could call those insights, but how do I translate those insights into both why, why does this person not buy this product? And then more importantly, what changes do I have to actually implement to get them to do that, right? It's the, I can get the what, I can get the how, I can get the when, but I can't really get the why and I can't really understand without guessing what I should do about it. It's, it's kind of the traditional thing and, and I'll let you jump in, in a second. So if you're looking at outcomes as sort of three distinct things is knowing that the problem of understanding change is difficult, that satisfying customers is incredibly laborious um, and the strategy to grow these programs or grow this customer segment is just simply not obvious. So while it's true in the loyalty programs, it's also true just in products in general, change, satisfaction, and growth are all outcomes. How do I translate those insights, in fact, to those outcomes? And I've got some thoughts on it, but maybe you you jump in and tell me what you think about the topic.
1: Well, I I think one of the things that jumped out to me is um, two different industries I'm a fan of. One is automotive, the other one is whiskey. Okay. Um, And Uh, your most loyal kind of buyer, right, the most fervent buyer is the one you least want in both of those industries, Mm. right? The reality is um, car dealers and even manufacturers to a large degree despise the enthusiast,
2: Mm.
1: right, to the point where I think despise might actually be the right word. (laughs) Um, We're the hardest sale by far. We know more about the car than the dealer does by far. Um, We generally have an encyclopedic knowledge of its competition Mm -hmm. um, and don't have any patience for the BS. And when we test drive, we're really interested in the the edges rather than the middle. All of that is exactly opposite of your standard buyer, right? Your standard buyer is interested in the infotainment. An enthusiast is generally not. Right. That's a that's a kind of table stakes feature set rather than a highly focused feature set. Right. They're in the 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 table stakes or the the kind of your standard buyer is interested in gas mileage. An enthusiast almost never is. Right. Right. Um, They rely on the dealership for information, even if it's anecdotal, even if it's somewhat uh, made up, guessed on the spot, whereas an enthusiast is not. Right. Um, uh, Your average buyer is interested in Financing through the dealership, even if they bring their own financing with them, right, um, yes. and are much more easily swayed by conversations around the Foursquare, which, if you're not familiar with, is is a way f- to confuse you about the finances of you know the car you're buying. Right. Um, whereas you're the enthusiast is really interested in I've, I I want this exact color combination with this exact wheel set with these exact features and I'm paying this exact price.
0: Right.
1: Right. Um, so, and where normally a sale is about an hour of the salesman's time, an enthusiast can be multiple multi hour trips. So, they don't like us. Um, in the same way that the whiskey buyer, right, the whiskey collector is really interested in allocations, right? They'll come in the store, they ask about allocations. When they're told no, they leave. Nope, nobody likes them, really, right? Um, if I were to be, if, if, if as a manufacturer, I were to look at those things and say, how do I further gather those pieces of the market? Um, hopefully the insights would tell me to not, right? Um, the cost to retain is entirely too high. And I think that's an important part of the insights to outcomes, right? Um, sometimes the insight has to be no or the outcome has to be no from the insights, right? um and and i think it's often something we don't discuss enough right how do i determine that the market i'm going after is actually worth the investment to go after it before i even begin
2: yeah that's a good point i think that's pretty pretty distinct difference between the insights and the outcomes right the the insights should be facts that you know whether they're obvious or not whether they're intuitive or not are still facts right this this client segment buys this way they buy this product uh, like those are just facts and known things. And it may require science to get to that knowledge, right? I might have to do intense analytics to understand that fact, but it's a set of facts. Outcomes still is something I think is possible or that I wish to do, or I believe is competitive, uh, but I don't really know, right? I don't, I, because I, I haven't known in the past, I've just based it on my business acumen because I've been doing this for 35 years and therefore I must be doing it well since I'm a successful company. Okay, but how do you really know? But 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 in the same in the same statement, how do you know? I think de- you know that the fact is true, but you don't know why it's true. And I wonder if you spent the time to discover why it's true. That'll help you to discover whether it's an appropriate outcome or not based on change of that fact.
1: Sure. Uh, I I think the question becomes really important, though, right? Because an insight is an insight is just a bare fact, but the but but the truth of the matter is the insight comes about because of a question we ask. Right? I'm trying to determine um, what's the likelihood that this buyer will buy this thing, as an example. Right? Um, and, and I think a lot of it starts with the question. Right? So so I'll take my previous example. Right? Um, and 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 we'll do both of them just for the fun of it. Right? Um, if we can, we can reasonably agree that the enthusiast is an expensive buyer and thus um, potentially not worth retaining, um, then the question might be, how do I change the buying model to, to better support the enthusiast, mm-hmm. right? To streamline that process, right? right? Um, because ultimately, regardless of whether they're an enthusiast or not an enthusiast, right? Whether they see a car as... Um, a piece of their soul or as a, as a conveyance tool. Um, I still want the buyer. I still want a hundred percent of the addressable, addressable market, not 90% of the addressable market. So how do I change, you know, the, the process to better support the enthusiast. And then from the whiskey buyer, right. The question really should be one, how big is the enthusiast market? And two, um, is there a way to better serve the enthusiast market? Can I provide tools that say, while I don't have, you um, uh stag um what i do have instead is these seven bottles that have a similar profile that are readily available that you might find interesting to try can i provide sales tools that help steer the buyer from a no to a no but
2: so you're getting to my five points let's not get there yet let's double click on those and i know it to be true because we think like that you'd already discovered what those five are already (laughs) <laughs> but let's stick to outcomes. So I talked about three outcomes that I thought was the most relevant or what was most likely to be the, the highest order top line impact, which was uh, impact of change, uh, the impact to customer satisfaction, um, and then of course, how I'm going to grow, right? Now, those are sort of external based outcomes, but there's also internal based outcomes like how do I make better decisions? Or uh, how do I become more efficient? Or how do I discover things like um, fraud, right? Those are sort of the internal type stuff or the external type stuff. Do you see other outcomes that are more relevant or do those outcomes sort of settle into most industries for you?
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think there's always a nuanced conversation to be had, but I think they largely probably fall into one of those three things.
2: Okay. Right. Yeah. Like uh, when I took the loyalty program, mostly because it affects me, most It affects me this year uh, as, as one of those impacts, right. To say um, if super elites can't achieve the appropriate mileage this year, what changes do you have to implement in the program to still keep their satisfaction high? I don't know. Like I know I could determine who the super elites are. In fact, I could determine with general probability whether they'd be able to fly or not based on past behavior and current environment. But I won't really know of the ones that I want to keep, how I should actually change the program to keep them. Um, And then if you look at growth, how do I add more super elites over time? Maybe not 2021, but 2022, 2023. What incentive do I have to make for the 50K people to become 100K people? Uh, or how do I ensure that the 25K, the lowest here, are continuing to be satisfied with the program attributes that they're currently getting? Or can I change them uh, to give them less stuff, but keep them with the same level of satisfaction? I don't know. I don't have any but, of those answers. No, That, no. that, that kind of double-clicked why I was thinking that way.
1: But, but I think the question also is, um, what's my goal? Right. right? And and status is easy. My goal is to grab as much of the market, grab 100% of the market, right. right? I want to have so many people staying at my hotel chain. I want to have so many people flying my airline that at least one of my competitors go out of business, if not all of them over time, right? right? Um, and elite status is a way to do that. And and I think part of the issue and part of the, the kind of constant balance is um, how do I justify the cost of the program with the value of retention Mm -hmm. and COVID has really brought up an interesting perspective which is um, because over time we watch them get um, less and less and less valuable to us the to to us the elite right Right. benefits that we had 10 years ago we no longer have right miles that we had 10 years ago we no longer have right they're constantly juggling and changing things um to really justify the fact that that these programs aren't aren't necessarily free right. right that there's a that there's a, a level of game gamemanship on both sides right um and ultimately then the question becomes um, are we doing everything we can to grab those to, to to retain the number of people that we want and continue to grow kind of to your point. Um, but then COVID comes along and throws a monkey in the wrench right. because the fact is Marriott reset right United did not. Southwest reset, United did not, right? So now I can look and go, well, United didn't reset, so that's a that's a point in their favor. Um, do I do do I continue all of my my travel through United, um, or do I look someplace else? And as a secondary airline, because Southwest reset, and there's no way I'm going to be able to hit it this year, um, do I look to a secondary airline? Is it a good time to try? To, to switch to JetBlue, to switch to Virgin, to switch to Alaska, or to switch to Frontier,
2: right?
1: right as my low-cost carrier, and then on hotel chains because Marriott switched, because Marriott ended, right? Um, is there any value in continuing with Marriott? Do I switch to, you know, Hilton or Hyatt as an example? Um, it's and a and it. it's a safe year to do it. What's it's also kind of ridiculous that they allowed them to expire because it's also a safe year for them just to continue the programs right. the programs only cost money when you're traveling
2: right
1: they don't cost money when you're not traveling so in a year when you know people are not traveling to not just simply extend it by another 12 months and and even if you suffer a few hundred dollars in cost you gain the retention right, right? the conversation never comes up if they simply would have extended it by one more year and said due to the continuing advent of COVID and our projections, we're going to continue it throughout the year. As a matter of fact, not only are we gonna continue it, but based on your level, we're gonna give you bonus miles for the year for all the travel that you do, right? We're gonna increase our multiplier to try and encourage you to travel. Right. We'd prefer you do it in a safe manner, blah, 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 right? Um, matter of fact, uh, for Marriott, if you t- just to get you kind of to use Marriott and continue to be a loyal customer, we're going to give you a discount level on hotels that are in your home city. Right. I would have expected to see some things like that. I would have expected to see these enterprise look and go. Loyalty is really important. It's the way we make the investment in all these loyalty programs. Retention is the goal of the loyalty program. Right. Because um, it's not just about how much can I get you to travel to attain the loyalty, but how do I make sure that you're loyal to my brand? Because at some point, COVID's going to be over.
2: Attached, right? So, a Marriott ambassador's $20,000 worth of spend. Air Canada Super Lease is $20,000 worth of spend. The last thing you want to happen is a free, easy status match to your competitor. Right. Where <laughs> I will then take up that entirely $20,000 and spend it somewhere else. Right. And, and even if a big chunk of their, like 10% of their Super Lease did that, that'd have a dramatic impact on their yeah. top line.
1: Right. And, and all it takes is one of them, one of the competitors to go, we'll just match it for for 18 months instead right. of the normal three months. Like we know you're not going to travel this year, but we really want your business. Right. Right. And so we're going to match whatever status you have on Marriott, us, Hyatt, we're going to match for the next 18 months. That gives you enough time to not only take advantage of of that status for the little bit of travel you have in 2021, But in 2022, as things heat back up, it gives us the ability to retain you, to really show what we think your value is, even though we didn't get to experience the value in the past.
2: Right. Okay, so part two of this topic. So part one was, let's discuss, you know, distinct differences between insights and outcomes, right? Part two is the IT answer to this usually is the DNA practice, right? The IT answer to this is, let's connect to a thousand points of light. Let's integrate data inside and outside. Let's let's engineer that data. Let's orchestrate that data, applying mathematics, statistical algorithms, and let's find those nuggets of gold. Let's create that insight. And it might be with MIS, it might be with dashboards, it might be with analytical results. But ultimately, it's a set of facts that get delivered. Um, That's kind of our approach. But technology kind of stops at fact. It kind of stops at insight. And yes, there are tons of examples of predictive and prescriptive stuff, of probabilities and possibilities, sure. But that doesn't necessarily equal an outcome, even if it's a better understanding of the fact. Your thoughts?
1: I mean, I I, I totally agree, right? Um, And I think as technologists, we don't need, I don't think we need to go further as technologists, I think we need to better explain as technologists,
0: hmm.
1: right? Um, the the fact is this is where the partnership is both becomes valuable and is required between technology and the business, right? right? It is incumbent upon us to understand the business better, no doubt, no two ways about it. We've done a poor job of it historically. However, that doesn't mean we become the business, right? right? Ultimately, Um, That allows us to provide better insights. We never provide the outcome, Right. provide the insight. We may help execute. We may provide advice. What do you think we should do with this? Well, it says we'll get better engagement with our customers and thus increase our retention if our app has changed in the following seven ways. Cool. We kind of own that. If you would like, let's review that. We'll go through, we'll, we'll provide a budget and then we'll run the project necessary to implement those changes, right? Whether that's internally or externally. Cool. That makes logical sense. Right. But the fact is we're still, we're not the ultimate decision makers on turning insights into outcomes, right? The business still has to own those. Um, but it is required upon us to say um, these are insights, not outcomes. The application of these insights will get us to outcomes but insights do not guarantee outcomes any more than past behavior in stocks guarantee future results
2: <laughs>
1: right. right Which anyone that bought that bought Bitcoin over the weekend is crying in their is crying in their shorts this morning because it I don't know if you've noticed but Bitcoin went up a hundred more than a hundred percent over the last month. Yeah. And lost 25% of its value last night.
2: Twitter lost $5 billion since, since the weekend. In
1: value. Wow. <laughs> well, um, Bitcoin lost, uh, uh, I think, $200 billion in value. That's a big number. No, no, it was $1.2 So they lost a quarter of $1.2 So they lost $300 billion. It's
2: digital currency, it's not real.
1: I mean, it's still value, right? Twitter, Twitter's wasn't real either. <laughs>
2: right. it's, still,
1: it's, it's still stock value, not real dollars, right? Nobody came to their bank account and said, well, we, we understand your balance was good, but we're taking 5 billion in balance away. Right. Right? It's kind of the misnomer of the whole mess. But, um, but, but I, I think it's really critical to kind of understand that that you know, we have a responsibility to explain to the business that what we, der- what, what we help them derive is those insights right without them we're not creating outcomes
2: so then here's my setup five point plan tell me if you agree with these five you add five you re- you'd remove two whatever you want to do but here's here's kind of the what what i believe to be true based on the requirements to shift from facts or insights into outcomes so the first one uh, overwhelm yourself with facts so it's not about a single fact It's multiple facts. It's hundreds of facts. It's multiple perspective. It's multiple dimensions. It's multiple periods of time. And that doesn't always have to be intuitive um, and it may not always be relevant, but the more you have, both in volume and dimensions, the better. Plus, go beyond structured data. Look at your unstructured data. Look at your digitized images. Look at the digitized documents. Look at contact center recordings. All of that is adding to the facts That's number one. Apply institutional knowledge to those set of facts uh, beyond a single deployment. So the reality is loyalty program is a ex- department. So beyond so loyalty programming is generally a marketing function. But if you go outside of marketing and you look at finance and you look at customer success and you look at sales and you look at the executive um, and you look at the history of the company itself, look look at the look and evaluate the program over time over its 20-year period what changes have i implemented how have i made money differently over time how have i spent money differently over time how what have my assets and my suppliers and my customer segments have changed over time create a an understanding of that institutional knowledge and apply that to the facts thirdly uh, determine where you fit in the industry as a whole and use those facts. So are you part of a larger supply chain? Are you both the buyer and provider of a two-sided network? Uh, are you 1% of the market or 98% of the market? Like where do you play, Is do you, do you provide mass market uh, products to uh, all consumers in the US or a niche product with a niche consumer just in Toronto? right? Know where you play in the actual market. Number four, um, and I think this is a fundamental one which people miss all the time, which is understanding the actual customer behavior, a people humanistic perspective. This is psychology. This is sociology. This is anthropology. Get a real deep understanding of how people make decisions, how people decide whether they like you or not, Uh, why they would choose to do business with you or not, what their future focus on, how important is money versus family versus power, all of those things, because that'll help you not only with the why, but what they might do if you make change. And then finally, my fifth part is coordinated testing of changes. You can't just make a global change and implement it and hope for the best. You need to make micro changes small changes maybe segment by segment test them out champion challenger uh fail fast figure out what works and what doesn't work um, and then make the changes that have the most positive effect to have a much more likelihood of hitting the most positive outcomes your thoughts
1: um so uh, overall i think it's a great list um i i i was looking down because and this might be a shock to our viewers we don't pre-plan these we come up with a topic before we start recording and then we start recording and it allows us to be a whole lot more conversational
0: yeah.
1: right um so i hadn't heard these five before i didn't read the article I, I purposefully did not skim the article so that so that we could um so that it could kind of all be new so i was making notes while you were going along um so so i, I take a little bit i, I want to add an asterisk to your very first one all right i totally agree overwhelmed with facts at the same time develop a methodology to rank the facts hmm. right because the more information i have I, I run the risk of a couple things one i run the risk of less likely facts cuz cuz a computer doesn't say whether thing is a thing is 100% true or 100% false it returns a likelihood right right um, and what i don't want to do is get into a situation where one my my inputs were bad Right? My data set was, two, my data set was biased, right? right? Um, three, I, I simply ignored large amounts of data. Or four, as I added more points of light, as I added more data sources, as I added video, as I added unstructured data, as I added semi-structured data, it's entirely possible that the facts are going to change as the machine learns and knows better, right? right? Um, and so come up with some way to relate the facts to some sort of what I would call maybe, maybe um, sort of truth table, something along those lines, right? Where where you're so you're able to look at things and and determine how likely is this fact to apply to my situation.
2: Right. Or level right. of completeness of the fact. Like this um, fact is based on 20% of the information I have. It might change based on 50% of the information I apply to it. Right.
1: Right. Um or, or this fact, the the nuance of this fact was um, we played this on our existing customer set. And the reality is what we're looking to do is grab new customers from a different segment. Right. So it's not necessarily likely this is going to be representative of the new customer segment we're trying to retain. Right. Right. And so, so I would say make sure that your facts is nuanced would probably be the best way to put it. Right. Um, if the why for your buyers, um, says my buyers buy in this pattern because all of their buying is done in May, because they may in June, because they're relying on their tax return for the purchase. And again, this is an American centric reason. <laughs> um, and then you find out that all of, our, all of our existing buyers are white males between the ages of 38 and 55 who make more than $125,000 a year. And we're not going after that market. Maybe you should include that in your facts table. Maybe those are the nuances involved in those particular facts, right? right? Um, just to use an example that i randomly pulled out my tush. Um, and then also recognize that as you increase the volume, as you increase the facts, as you start to look for fat, for more and more and more facts, you're trading completeness for agility. Right. Right. Time is going to be a massive consideration there and cost. You can't process data for free. You can't store data for free. You can't add tool sets for free. Um, and so you really need to balance um, what does agility look like? Right? How quickly can I start testing? How quickly can I start trying to validate this data? Um, and how quickly can I start experimenting? Because a very big part of all of this is experimentation. As in, I roll things out in a test fashion to a small segment and see, um, does this start to, to net positive results or negative results or nothing at all? Right? Can I, can I track it in some way? Um, I love apply institutional knowledge to the facts. Um, just make sure that that you again go wide, right? Um, part of, of the, the reason that we use, yeah. say, say what?
2: Outside of the current department, more than just one person.
1: I would say outside of the current company. Yeah. Right, outside of the current geo, right? right? Um, the, the, we've talked about perspective a lot. Our diversity episode was 90% perspective. Um, and the reality is the reason we use data is because our current knowledge set doesn't get us there. It just has us do the same thing we did yesterday, right? Right. And so, start by acknowledging that if we already had the knowledge and perspective within the organization to make these changes, we likely would have made the changes, right? right? And so, make sure that when you're framing the what we know context, it's it's broader than just what you know, but rather what humanity knows about the problem. So across your industry, right? Maybe within the geo outside of your industry, what do we know, right? How do we create a, a, the biggest X, Y that we possibly can of knowledge and then apply that to the data, to the insights that we're getting back so we can start derive deriving outcomes. Um, I spend a ton of time on determining where you fit and, and take that into consideration. I think that was the most important thing, right? Um, if you're, if, if what you know um, is informed by the biggest player in the market and you're the smallest player in the market that knowledge doesn't necessarily apply exactly. right the biggest player yeah, in the, the market right, right right and you're not going to get the same result right the biggest player in the market is tuning and picks up 6% right the smallest player in the market cannot tune and pick up 6% they can tune and pick up 6% of the market they already have right Right, so if you have one percent, you're going to pick up six percent of one percent. You're not going to get the change that you're looking for. Right. Right. At the same time, there's almost nothing the big player can do to pick up ten percent of the market, twenty percent of the market, much less double their market share. Whereas when you have one percent, you actually double can double your market percentage. share. Right. Um, and then really understanding where you play, right, and how the customer sees you, I think is 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 critical to that whole thing. Right, Um, if the customer sees me as the boutique player, right, and um, the expensive player, coming, releasing a bargain basement product um, with no tunability that's designed for everyone um, probably is a bad idea. Because one, the customer's not going to see that way. And two, my existing customer isn't going to want to continue to, to do business if the reason they made the choice was because my bank delivers a catered series of features that Bank of America does not. Right. Right. In fact, and so,
2: in fact, it really pushes your diversity inclusion perspective when it comes to the human behavior point. The reality is, me as the leader in marketing making these intuitive decisions are basing it entirely on my own bias and my own perspective and my own life and my own choice. Not on the million other dimensions of the million other types of customer segments I'm trying to attract. And therefore documenting how different types of people make different types of decisions of what's most important to them versus what you think becomes incredibly relevant. It really documents the why why this 50K person doesn't ever travel 20,000 more miles, I don't know, but let's double click and see why we think that's actually true, at least on a different set of dimensions.
1: Well, and, and to use airlines as an example, right? Um, I, I think one of the least well-known facts about the American Airlines is Frontier is the only airline that does not market to the commercial traveler. Hmm right? Frontier is almost 100% the recreational traveler. Right. As such, they don't have a loyalty program,
2: hmm.
1: right? Because loyalty programs really are based on people who travel for business. Right. They're not based on people who travel for, for pleasure. If you're traveling for, for pleasure, you want a discount because all of your money goes to your personal miles, right? right. Like, um, and yet, I don't see them play that up at all right? I don't see how their marketing is set to say, um, we're the, we look at where you go for fun because we want to go there for fun too.
2: Mm.
1: You know what I mean? I've never seen any of their marketing. Their marketing is effectively, we go there cheaper than anyone else because we do it cheaper than anyone else, right? <laughs> and, and while I think that's okay, at the same time, it's their biggest value is their ability to say we're willing to take risk and, and set up a flight to Boca Raton that goes to Boca on Fridays and from Boca on Mondays because we know you wanna to go to Boca for, for golf. Right. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm making a guest example, right? right. Um, but that's really where number um, number three and number four, I think come into play because those dovetail so nicely together right? Why do people travel and where do you fit in travel? I think those two things go together. And frankly, if you, if you can't understand yourself, you're never going to understand your customer. If you can't be honest about yourself, you're never going to be honest about the customer and you really have to be honest about both of those. Um, And it might be worth using multiple sources for four because it's really, really important to understand the customer. Right. Don't just rely on your institutional knowledge about why people have bought in the past if you only own three percent of the market, because you've missed ninety-seven percent of sales. Right.
2: So last bit. So so I can use technology, my DNA team, my DNA capability and practice to create those facts. We just outlined five or six things that we think need to get you from facts to outcomes. But that's that's, that requires more effort, more people, more expertise, more talent than I actually have. So how does one actually do that? I don't have psychologists who work for me. Like I don't ha- necessarily know what external data I need to collaborate on. Um, I don't have a documented uh, understanding of the uh, expertise within my business. I don't know how to do champion challenger <coughs> testing of a program change
1: wait wait before you reveal is it going to be something we've talked about before i don't know you tell me is that is it going to be ecos rely on the ecosystems of talent that we've created you're awesome
2: (laughs) (laughs) ecosystems of partnerships (laughs) talent information and technology yes
1: yeah we talk a lot about the ecosystem A lot about the ecosystem, Um, and and frankly, if as a leader you don't talk about the ecosystem, you need to back up about ten paces and figure out why you're not talking about the ecosystem. Your job as a CIO, as a CEO, as a vice president is to build and nurture ecosystems of capabilities, Mm -hmm. right? Not just not just nurture, and it should start by nurturing those ecosystems within your own teams, obviously. But by the time you move beyond director, beyond senior director, and you're in VP, you really should be really focusing on, like, you should have, have the internal ecosystems down pretty bad, and you really should be focusing outside of your department and outside of your company to, to really improve those ecosystems.
2: What, what do you think of shared outcomes? What do you think of working with ecosystem partners to say, uh, we're going to share on our joint ability to create um, an outcome, like a 2% growth, you'll get a share of that, I'll get a share of that, or creating level of efficiency, and of um, every million dollars I save, you'll get 200,000, I'll keep 800,000. What, does that appeal to you? Do you think it appeals to anyone?
1: I mean, I, I, I not only does it appeal to me, but I think it should appeal to everyone, mm. right? Um, but it's still, it, it's still a risk-reward kind of methodology, right? Right. Um, you have to. You as the vendor have to be willing to give up the immediate bump for the monthly recurring revenue. Right. Right. You as the company have to be willing to sign up for the monthly recurring revenue. Right. Um, it, it does require a good legal team on both sides, <laughs> because not only is there contract negotiation, but I have to have some assurances that neither of us are fudging the numbers. Right. But I have to have some assurances that we have a way to audit. What that is, and I have to have some assurances from both sides, right? That we know how to how to, how to document this and how to read this and how to understand this, right? Um, and 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 so I would say the nuance there really is: if you want to avoid trouble later, spend a bunch of time in contract negotiation on it,
2: um, <laughs> right. more than but, more than you normally would, yeah.
1: right? But it helps the buyer manage capital a whole lot better, yeah, and. The seller gains that all important monthly recurring revenue number to take back to the board of the investors and the shareholders right. and say, we we are transitioning to an MRR-based business and this is how we're doing it, right? And it does it in a way that is completely outcome-based, right? right? You can stand on the street corner and say, the proof is in the pudding. I only make a dollar if my customer makes two. Right. Skin in the game.
2: That's yep. what I like that you're going to participate with me not only in the long term, but every action will create a positive reaction to which we both get to share in the value of. And right. if we fail fast, of the things that don't succeed, we both are attributed with its loss before we move on to a next thing and work on something that actually produces a positive.
1: And, and if you look at it logically, right, Let's let's go with your example of 20% right? Um, as the vendor, you get 20%. No one's going to pay you 100% of the reduced value, right. right? So so let's say you save me $10 million or $8 million, right? You you reduce my cost by 80%. You save me $8 million on a $10 million deal or $10 million cost. No one's going to give you $8 million for that.
2: Right.
1: You're going to be hard pressed to get $2 million for that, right? Because it's upfront cost. It's right. It's sunk cost. It's all this other stuff. However, uh, 20 cents on the dollar g- still gives you the $2 million, but it gives it to you every year. Right. Right. Let's say it's a five year contract. At the end of five years, I've actually got 10 million
2: right. on
1: what would have been two. Right. And let's say we do 10% instead, I still have 5 million on what potentially would have been two. I can think of zero times in our previous life at our previous employer where we were involved in a project where it wouldn't have worked out significantly better for us.
2: <laughs> right
1: right, to simply take the, the shared revenue model?
2: I always prefer the growth side of that business versus on the efficiency side. Right? The, at, at the end of the day, there is, in fact, a floor. There's only so much one can save. There's not, It's not an unlimited savings capability, but it's arguably an unlimited growth capability, right, to say for every new customer, for every new dollar, for every new product sold, we get a piece of the pie versus for every dollar saved, I want 20 cents of it because you're,
1: Uh, you're uh, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Ultimately, I think that's a value engineering exercise to begin with, right? Because it's a question for for the buyer. Where do I invest my dollars? It doesn't matter where the dollars come from, right? Because that's what we were just talking about. But let's talk about where I invest my dollars. Um, Everything works really well. My efficiency is really high and I'm a small player in the market. We're going for growth,
2: right?
1: right? Um, If on the other hand, I have a piece of my business that breaks all the time. Right, right, And then you can come in and say, we're going to reduce your outages by 10% and the cost savings to that is $25 million a year per location, right? Then it really quickly becomes, yeah, that sounds like money we should invest, right? Especially if my cost for that is 10 cents on the dollar.
2: Yeah. Loyalty leakage.
1: Right, right. And so I think it really depends on what your business is. And I think it really depends on who you are to determine which side of the equation makes sense today. And if we're being honest, that's all we're talking about in any of this. The take, the key takeaway should be every single one of these examples, every single piece of this advice is not a one-time playbook, but a constantly repeating playbook, right? Right. Everything I learned before gets fed back into the system to give me better insights for tomorrow, to drive better outcomes, my successes and my failures. Every time I succeed, the data goes back in. Every time I fail, the data goes back in. Right. Models I've rejected before might become really important tomorrow. If I decide today I need to, to work on efficiency tomorrow, I'm working on growth. Right. Right. I, it's you're not just choosing one, you're just choosing one today. Right. Tomorrow, you're going to choose another one. The day after you're going to choose another one. The day after you're going to choose another one until you own 100 percent of the potentially addressing market or you retire.
2: Right. percent of the total market at zero cost.
1: Correct. <laughs> Correct.
2: That is the perfect business.
1: Right? I mean, <laughs> and ultimately that's what we're talking about. Right. There is no point at which we say we are done with data. There is no point at which we say we're done with insights, we're done with outcomes, and we're done with the process. It is constant. It is continual. It is forever. You, as an individual, might be done. The business can never be done.
2: Carlos, healthy conversation. <laughs>
0: yeah this was a very healthy conversation insights and outcomes a lot of times that get confused but as technology leaders we need to understand where the business is so we can help them drive the correct insights so they can get the correct outcomes so as every week my friends make sure that you subscribe and that you share and we read your comments and that's how we come out with some of the topics because it's feedback that we're getting from our viewers so my friends We'll see you on our next episode.